and welcome to Hiding Behind the Music Stand. I'm your host, Patty Ryan, and with me is Autumn Chodorowski, who is the principal second violinist of the Quad Cities Symphony Orchestra, and we'll be talking about meditation and living in the present. Welcome, Autumn. Thanks for being here. Hi, Patty. Thanks for having me. How are you handling COVID these days? <laughs> That's a question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, COVID, I'm sure, threw a wrench in everybody's plans, but as a musician, especially, it's been a little hard because, you know, all your work kind of goes away as a freelancer. And yeah, it's been interesting because it's been the first time in my life where I didn't have any deadlines or things coming up. And so it went from, I actually had a very full docket, and then it went from being kind of very stressed out to being stressed out because I had nothing. You're right. <laughs> yeah, it's been interesting because like you said, living in the moment, I've been finding these little ways to not so much look into the future and to take each day and make it the fullest day I can possibly make it through either music or yoga or meditating. <laughs> or <laughs> Yeah, like any any little thing that I've been doing some days, yeah, it's watching an entire Netflix series of something very stupid, like uh, Love is Blind was my favorite thing. For oh my the God. Time. Oh my God. I have so many thoughts on that show. It's nuts. It's great. It's <laughs> the best reality show I could have asked for in this time period. Yeah. That's been fun. And I've been like, um, you know, various shows that I've been meaning to finish for a long time finally got to finish and it's been great but yeah every day's been different and it's been a journey that I'm sure I would have never had if it hadn't happened yeah I mean you we would be driven ambitious musicians working our butts off and I don't know being awesome I guess but instead we're just doing that on our couches <laughs> yeah on our couches weirdly enough I think it was a much needed break for a little period of time right. a lot of people myself included but now it's it's a great time to kind of sit back and take stock and one what's really important for your health and mental health and society I, I, everything that's going on right now has been needing to happen for years and years and years right and finally people have the time to kind of take stock and do something about it and um, I'm not sure if that's why but it definitely I think helps yeah so we've known each other for quite a while I mean it's been almost eight years or so I met you. You met at Tanglewood College, right? It was my summer after I graduated my undergrad. Yes. So eight years, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> almost to the month, probably, right? I bet. Oh my God, almost to the well, not close to the date, but maybe close to the day. Happy anniversary! Happy friendversary! <laughs> <laughs> But it's funny. So my first impression of you, though, at I mean, I was a hot mess at Tanglewood that first year, but um, I was so unprepared. I did not know what I was getting myself into. But my first impression, though, was actually that I thought you didn't like me. And that's, that just goes to show how much inner dialogue, you know, yeah. messes up what is actually reality. Well, it's funny because my first impression of you is that you didn't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> So I think it was just a miscommunication because like, yeah, so I was so scared that summer and I was just like trying to latch on to anybody who wanted to be my friend. And 
I'm sorry. No, it's totally fine. It's like, it's just funny what people's impressions of you are. Your first impressions sometimes are so off. So wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what stereotypes, why stereotypes are bad. Yeah, Yeah. of course. But yeah, but I think what's been so fun about reflecting on our friendship is that we've done sort of amazing things together. I mean, of course, Tanglewood is its own amazing experience. I could not speak. I love Tanglewood. It's like one of the best places on in I'm not saying this well hold on (laughs) no no I totally like my idea of success back then was if I get into Tanglewood I will have made it in the world like there's just something about Tanglewood that you get to study with so many amazing people and like conductors and you meet basically all of the musicians that will be musicians over the course of your life. I'm like getting chills rethinking, yeah. like reliving it. Yeah, it's like... It's beautiful there and you get to like yeah. sit under the stars and listen to classical music. And- With your friends, yeah, it's it's such a... And you also work your butt off there too. It's like, it's relentless, but it's so rewarding. I think that's the... Anyway, not only did Tango together and like, I think we did Spoleto together as well, which is also a really fun camp to do. We also, we went through the same program together. We are both artistic certificate chamber music majors at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. That is a yeah, mouthful. Yeah, it, it, whenever I have to write it on my resume, I'm just like, oh, why couldn't this be shorter? <laughs> yeah, can't, does everyone understand what SFCM is? Because that would be easier than writing San Francisco Conservatory of Music. Yeah, but, artistic diploma in chamber music studies or whatever the official title is. Artistic <laughs> certificate? Is that what we got? Artistic certificate, yeah. Okay. Unless, yeah. well, th- there also is a, ma- a master's in that. Right. But we got the certificate. Yeah, because we we'd be old. Yes. <laughs> I already had a master. Yeah, exactly. I already had a master. I was already a master of music. I <laughs> didn't need to master it anymore, apparently. <laughs> we just needed a certificate to say that we are artists. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, but even through that program, we've had some really fantastic memories. I mean, we've performed with the Mendelssohn Octet with the Pacifica String Quartet back in its original form. We performed with Ian Swenson, who was your teacher. What else did we? We just did a bunch. Of, we also went to China. We did China. We went on a tour to China. Jeff Nettle. We performed. Jeff Nuttall, yes, St. Lawrence String Quartet. And yeah, I mean, that program alone probably taught me more, I feel bad for saying this, but taught me more about not not necessarily violin playing as a violin playing unit, but taught me more about music in general. Yeah. And, and how to really express yourself through music and how to get into music. And um, I'm not saying that my other education wasn't that good, but there's just something about that program. The fact that the chamber music class, you have basically all of the teachers that teach at SFCM in the class with you and you get different points of view from all these people and it's just kind of insane that there's a place that has that type of class where you get so much input and everybody genuinely cares how well you do. I I, honestly that program (laughs) is so great. That particular class is one of my all-time fate. I'm so happy to have had that experience because it has truly as you were saying shaped the musician that I am today I was able to see all different perspectives and you could see how the faculty were collaborating with one another and that they were you it was almost an example of how one should banter in a rehearsal setting yeah 
and it was at such a high level and that everything was always with this underlying support of you can do it. It is possible. Don't let this limit you. And anyway, I just, yeah, SFCM is a very special school. Yeah. So, but that. we went to China together as part of the Shanghai Conservatory of Music and SFCM sister exchange, which I don't know if they still are doing or not. I don't, I don't know. I mean, obviously right now they probably aren't, but um, yeah, I have no idea if that program is still happening. What was amazing is that we performed Shostakovich Piano Quintet with an eight, was he eight years old? Eight or nine. Eight or nine year old pianist. prodigy, yeah. And I remember we all walked into that rehearsal just knowing this kid's name and he was incredible though. And we, we like looked at each other and kind of went, this can go one of two ways. This could be the worst experience of our lives or the best and it ended up being the best. And yeah. the, this kid was amazing, although he was very enthusiastic about playing very loudly, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I great. mean, can you blame him? <laughs> I, I mean, it's Shostakovich, no. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, that was amazing. And then that week, I also got to perform with faculty in China. I remember if you remember that because Ian got an opportunity to play at Carnegie Hall. Right. And that was a crazy experience for me too. But, but then I got lost in Shanghai. I wanted to talk about that. Yeah, that was one of the scariest experiences of my life. And it was very traumatic actually because I don't know if anybody's been to Shanghai, but it's huge. I mean, gigantic. All the street signs are obviously in Chinese and the maps. And, um, and I was kind of the one that was directly people like I had Google yeah. Maps or something so I, yeah. I, I I was so I think I told you how to get somewhere well and we then walked, I led you a, did I lead you astray no I'm just terrible with directions and thought I knew where I was going and I was very confident until I wasn't and then I realized I was hopelessly lost and I was trying to get to a rehearsal with the faculty and right. I was extremely nervous I was going to be late so that was like added stress on there right and being and, late in our business is like basically well I wouldn't say unhirable but it's pretty yeah, bad yeah it's pretty bad so I was trying to hail a cab and no cabs would stop for me I don't know why and then I finally got a cab and I had this little card that said you know this is my hotel and the guy took me there but took me to like a back alley I don't know if I ever told you this part of it I don't think so he took me to this back That's alley sketchy. a block away from the actual hotel because confused about the address and then I get out and there's a group of locals that were very nice and I just was like pointing to the card like crying at this point because I was late and <laughs> I was lost and they like directed me and they're pointed in the direction and I basically ran into the rehearsal I, I think it only ended up being five minutes late mind you I left you guys it was a 10 minute walk and I left two hours early and I got there five minutes late so <laughs> this whole process was just I still think about it and like want to start like crying because then like John <laughs> looks at me and it's just I think Jody said something like maybe just don't go anywhere before rehearsals and I was like oh okay but then it's like why are we in Shanghai like uh, I mean yeah. of course we're there to perform but we got you know any it was I, I took every precaution you know I had one of the worst experiences of my life but you know underneath it all there's always someone that's willing to help you right. and thank you to that camp driver that picked me up <laughs> 
<laughs> Shout out to the cab driver. <laughs> I stood there on the street trying to read the map of Shanghai, and I don't know if you've like looked at the entire city. <laughs> it is confusing. Yeah. Well, it's also like when you don't know when up is down too. It's like yeah, and that's my my internal compass is nothing. Like I don't have an internal compass. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I go based on sight. I've tried to learn, Patty, but it's never gonna happen. It's okay. We do have we we don't have to worry about that anymore because. No. Well, we're not in China anymore, I guess. So, so that was kind of one of my funny stories of you. Uh, we'll get back to sort of more funny memories of each other, but I wanted to progress because after we finished up at San Francisco Conservatory together, we kind of parted ways a little bit. I mean, we kept in touch, but it wasn't, you know, in the same, we weren't doing the same activities all the time together. But when I got the opportunity in my quartet to invite an assistant faculty member, I instantly thought of Autumn and she has been amazing. Um, uh, and so she she is also an assistant faculty member at Stringwood Chamber Music Festival, which takes place in Lanesboro, Minnesota. The main faculty being Artaria String Quartet, which is my string quartet. Uh, but yeah, Autumn, you it was like an instant. Everyone just loved you instantly. Aww, you're gonna make me cry. No, I mean this was honestly one of the most kind of shaping. It was like you've been a part of a lot of my musical and personal life shaping. Things. I mean, likewise, yeah. But, you know, San Francisco being one and and this, like, I've always loved teaching and I know specifically I found in high school chamber music was the way that I related to music and could express myself the most. Because in orchestra, you know, you can be creative, but it's hard for a string player because there's like 20 of you and you're trying to all say the same thing at once. Granted, maybe more teamwork, but in chamber music, not really. You really have to communicate with each other you have to express yourselves individually and together at the same time. That was like huge for me in high school as someone who wasn't necessarily the most outgoing kid. I, I know you can't believe that. I'm so... <laughs> It was definitely like a blooming moment for me. Like having, honestly, getting asked to kind of give the same experience to kids was something that I've always wanted to do. And like you giving me that chance is honestly like, I thank you forever. No, I mean. Love it. it was just so inspiring to be inspired by these kids and to like. Yeah, they are really inspiring. And like all the, you know, the Atari String Quartet teach and learning from that as well. And it's been so great and honestly, like, you know, the other assistant faculty, Matt Lucas and Alexandra, almost called her Carol. I know, right? I mean, we just clicked and it's so funny because like I, playing wise and personality wise, I love those guys. Yeah. Yeah, Stringwood I, is a very special place uh, very for those. I mean, I, okay, we're biased here, but age range tends to be, I think our youngest has ever been 10 years old and uh, we go up to early undergraduate. Yeah. So it's kind of a big range of mature level, not just with music, but in adolescence, that we have to kind of be very sensitive about. And I think you guys as the assistant faculty are so amazing at balancing that. So thank you for, thank you I for being say. a part of the family. You. I love being part of the family and yeah it's also just the kids that come to camp all of them are so amazing and if they're listening you're all gonna do great things and, and even if Hugs. it's music so yeah so that kind of <laughs> if COVID wasn't here now we would actually be at Stringwood yeah we would and have this been podcast there. would not be would not exist yeah biggest waste of money for 2020 was my planner, planner that I bought <laughs> oh I could talk about Stringwood forever I know <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's helped me like realize like what what I really want to do in music and that does involve specifically teaching chamber music to kind of that age group is really my cup of tea you could say I do like tea yeah <laughs> I have another funny story about you when we were living in San Francisco I have a roommate named Cindy and there was one Friday where there was some happy hour tacos oh it was the yes because it was it was underdogs underdogs right and they used to have a happy hour that was one dollar margaritas for right. six to six thirty on friday right only for 30 minutes right only for 30 minutes and they would they would give you a glass and just pouring margaritas into your glass and somehow they always remembered how many you had and you would just dump your ice into a bucket before they like refilled your glass and that was close to where you lived right that was, yeah that was like a 10 minute walk from where i lived right so you texted cindy and me to come over and join you so <laughs> i remember this now yeah yeah but cindy and i both kind of wanted to practice but we also wanted to take advantage of this 30 minute window of margaritas which i don't understand how we were going to do that and then go practice afterward but whatever so or i think we just wanted to be social with you guys so we went over and it was packed and after a while i think i don't know we weren't there for actually that long you only need to be there for 30 minutes <laughs> <laughs> and afterward, you invited us to walk over back and hang out. And we committed, Cindy and I committed to it. But in route, Autumn was walking maybe a, a half block ahead of us. And she had crossed the street at that very moment, a 71 minibus going the direction that would literally put us right outside our apartment, just magically showed up right <laughs> in the middle. So we just walked on the bus. <laughs> we just kind of, we looked out the window, we saw you turn around and I saw you mouth like, what? What the? <laughs> and I just I like, remember you guys like waving and driving away. Granted, there was like a, a Bears group of people, so it wasn't like you guys ditched me and I was left alone. <laughs> there were more crazy. people. But... No, I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do. That's the kind of musician's motto. If you're ever like, no, I have to practice, like you leave it at that. Like, you don't ever question someone's need to practice because you could easily dissuade them from practice. Right, right. <laughs> but I, I mean, it was, I think that's my best Irish goodbye that's I've ever done. Yeah. But I do feel really bad for keeping you bad. out like that. But I think it's I also hilarious. I still remember the image of you guys like just looking out the window like, sorry. Like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because whenever I get together with you, I feel like I'm just laughing a lot. So it's yeah. hard to point for funny moments. But it was a couple weeks ago. I texted Patty because I hadn't heard from her in a while and I just wanted to check up on her and so she FaceTimes me and you're just sitting there in your kayak out on a lake with your cat just like <laughs> perched on your lap and you're just like hey I had to call you because I'm kayaking with my cat and <laughs> it literally made my day because I wasn't one expecting a call from you and two expecting you to call while in a, on a lake in a kayak with a cat. <laughs> <laughs> Like, kudos, I would have been like, this is too much already. I cannot call somebody right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was like, this is kind of awesome. It was the first time I have this inflatable kayak that I just, it's been my pastime in the Twin Cities as long as I've been living here. It's a great escape from being at home. And especially during COVID, it's something that I can do socially distance, which has been fantastic. And I have this cat, Sushi, who is very, very patient and pretty malleable. Yeah, she <laughs> She's adventurous. They come. She's she's like how I'm trying to be, living in the moment, <laughs> just taking things as they come to her. Yeah, she's just a sweet. She's a sweetie. And so I have this cat backpack, and I I decided to just see if she would like to take to the seas. So. 
So I, I tried it and she liked it. And I was like, wow, this is, so ever since then, I've taken her on my kayak trips. You're gonna be like the, the kayak cat lady in Minnesota. Like I know, I know. Yeah, I think she likes it. She hasn't complained, so <laughs> she's a cat. So. But yeah, I, I just needed to tell someone, you just happened to text me and I was like, well, Autumn would appreciate this. So. <laughs> and I did, it was great, it was perfect. Never want that memory to change. <laughs> so Autumn, yeah. now is is the Spitfire question section. Are you ready? I'm ready. So the Spitfire question is that I give you a question of two options and you choose one that is your first instinct. And I have to Spitfire. As much as you can. <laughs> yes, okay. Do you have a blowtorch? No. Well, because spitting fire. You oh, can... I thought I had to answer quickly. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that was why. That was not one. <laughs> I, I really panicked over that question. I was like, do I own a blowtorch? <laughs> Okay, I do not own a blowtorch. Okay, all right. Mozart or Beethoven? Mozart. Shostakovich or Prokofiev? Shostakovich. Netflix or video games? Netflix. Basil or cilantro? Basil. Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? Harry Potter. Symphony or chamber music? Chamber music. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Favorite practice room? Oh, my music room. I made a music room. <laughs> I, I recently moved into this house and we, we've got like rugs and I organized my music library. That was a COVID project. It's nice. great. And I found a lot of old music that we played together. So Aww. <laughs> I'm starting to think that this question isn't leading the right direction because most of the people, when I say favorite practice room, they literally just say where they live, <laughs> which is fine. Which is fine. It's oh, true. It's honest. But like, I think... If I were to location. I guess what I meant behind it was sort of what practice room when you were in school was yeah, like your no. That is a fun question actually. I, I have, I used to love practicing when I was at Northwestern in that little building. There's like a two-story building. If you went to Northwestern, you know what I'm talking about. It, there used to be broken windows and it was very dilapidated, but it was closer to my house than Reichenstein was. So I used to practice there. And it also had very old-timey doors and stuff. And so I liked the old of it. Cool. Was and it big or small? It was small. Very oh. small. My probably all-time favorite practice room, though, was the practice shed at Tanglewood. Oh. I would love it. I loved to do it, play, practicing in Jabba the Hut. Yes. <laughs> my favorite one. Or Pizza Hut. I think it's in Pizza Hut that there's this list of fellows that have inscribed their their name into the wood at this hut. Yeah. And I'm one of them, too. I, 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 I definitely signed my name. Did we do that together? Quite possibly. Yeah. We could have done that together. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Favorite professor shout out? Ian Swenson. Most inspired musical hero any genre? I guess to have like, yeah. He is so great. So great. And I've been loving his videos online right now where he goes through stuff. And it actually really helped me with some of my bow technique stuff. Oh. So I recommend those videos. They're just like free. I think he posts them on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. This was during COVID that he did this? Yeah. I mean, he's still posting videos. Right now he's doing an awesome, he's been finding African-American composers that really inspire him. And he's learning more music. And he says it's part of a, a broader series that he's going to do in That's the future. amazing. He's great. And he's one of the nicest people I've ever performed or worked with. Most transformative performance experience. Oh my gosh, there's so many. <laughs> I would say the weird, like, I think of all time, my Death in the Maiden performance at Tanglewood, at Tanglewood again, my second summer there, that I was there, we performed the first movement, and just the experience of working on that piece, we worked with Ian and um, Mark, um, yeah, Mark, Mark Sokol, 
circle who are like RIP, but yeah. he, honestly, in the answer to Augustine had a question, like he would probably be, besides Ian, like one of my biggest musical inspirations of all time. Yeah, like, Mark, he, Mark was an incredible, incredible teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And he worked with us and he didn't have to, mind you, he wasn't our coach. He just gave us extra coaching because he just loved music that much and wanted us all to do super well. And Ian was very into The Old Man and the Sea by Ernest Hemingway that week. And he made us all read that book because the struggle of him against the sea and kind of related to this Death and the Maiden. And it was such an impactful experience, just the whole, the people I performed with and the coaches that I, I actually read The Old Man and the Sea every summer just to kind of remind myself of what I love to do and inspiration and not everything's easy and there's just so many different things you can pick up in that book even though it's like 115 pages or Mm -hmm. 100 pages or something it's so short and that's you know we could all read it in one week like each member of the quartet read it and it it put us on the same plane of thought and that's what I mean you have to be the same but then you have to be different and you have to lend your voice to what's going on to paint the bigger picture not only was the performance super fun and I probably got more compliments based off that performance than like any other that whole process of learning that piece was probably one of the most transformative in how I approached music and how I wanted my other experiences to be then there's been other various like we did Mahler Mahler 9 with like MTT at New World and that was incredible and were you there when you did Berlioz Symphony Fantastique yes with Denev yes I think I was principal because uh, that's a that's a whole that's a whole story. That was also incredible. Working with Denev is yeah he he was his imagery the way that he can describe what's happening in the text is. Yeah. Really um, something you can latch on to. Those stories, those memories of yours, to me, the unifying thing about them is that it was a fusion of four minds together working towards a common goal of presenting yeah. this music. And similarly, probably with the New World Symphony and MTT's Mahler 9, it was a similar sort of, we're all working towards this amazing product, yeah. which is music, which is yeah. joy and catharsis and the spectrum of human emotion yeah and there's something to be said when like every single person on stage is giving 100 percent, and in in those scenarios was kind of the defining factor of every single person was invested and that's where it can sometimes get hard with music because sometimes you know one person's having a bad week and then maybe it's or they think that the concert's beneath them or something mm-hmm. it's a pops concert or whatever and they don't give 110 percent, and then it they unifying factor of let's do this kind of starts to integrate it actually becomes a very big point of contention in symphonies mm-hmm. when there's obviously someone that's not actively engaging even just something as simple as a conductor says something and they actively go like that's stupid and then just don't do it it it's, crumbles yeah and it's what's really hard about music is you don't always get those amazing experiences every time you play not that you have to live for those times where everything comes together and it's perfect but you kind of do but you should always be trying for it Mm -hmm. here's the final question what's the next piece you want to learn that is an interesting question so i have been stuck in the audition rut and lately i've been because i've had the time i've been pulling out all these like little pieces of music that i never ended up learning that were for solo violin so i i recently learned called strength s-y-r-i-n-x 
Oh. By WC, and it's adapted, I think, from a viola piece or something. I'm not exactly sure where it's adapted. Wait, what? Yeah. Excuse me? Yeah. Violinists are stealing viola repertoire? I think so. It's by WC, though. Has the world turned upside down? Like, I can't fathom this right now. It's beautiful, though. And that's the thing. I don't know if it's supposed to be, because it says for alto violin, and I'm not sure if it's just supposed to be, like, played on viola and but you can also play it on violin or i've been meaning to do more research so maybe don't (laughs) the next piece like i've always been secretly wanting to learn the vario sequenza for solo (laughs) violin but i don't think that will ever happen for me i might challenge myself i think though it might be prokofiev's violin concerto number two interesting yeah what i really want to work on because it'd be nice to play a new concerto i've been playing the sibelius for a really long time now and you need to get back and refresh yourself every once in a while with music. <laughs> okay, you have completed the Spitfire question portion of the podcast. Congratulations. I was so slow on so many answers. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> So now I like to ask you, how did you get into the music world? Sort of what's your origin story? Why did you continue to do music? What, why? And this is a weird thing we're doing in life, but yet we've committed ourselves to do this. My superhero origin story. Yeah, so my mom's a violinist, and thank goodness, because, you know, we weren't really in the income bracket to afford music lessons. So she taught both me and my sister violin. I started at the age of three, and the rule was in my house that we had to do violin until we graduated high school. And then, as she liked to put it, we could put it in a closet and never look at it again. But she wanted us to, you know, learn the discipline of it, because it is a it is something you have to stick with and really learn and you can't just you can like practice once a week or whatever but you won't ever really get better and improve and so she just wanted us to learn kind of what music can teach you in life about determination and responsibility and you know all that plus teach us music because music's great and you know she's a musician herself so she taught us and somewhere around sophomore year of high school I went to a youth orchestra called Midwest Young Artists in Evanston, Illinois. And I really didn't want to go because <laughs> I was already in a youth orchestra called McHenry County Youth Orchestra, which was a great group, but it was limited in its resources. And before I went to MYA, I never actually played a full real symphony before. And I got to MYA because my mom made me. It's <laughs> like, this is a too good of an opportunity. You have to go. I went, I played Scheherazade and I... Were you concert ma- uh, mistress? I wasn't concert master, but I did get to play some of the solos. So what I loved about my youth orchestra was they really tried to give opportunities to everyone. I mean, we had 15 bassists in our orchestra when you typically have like eight. I, I my face that I just made does not translate in podcast land, but my God, my I was horrified. Yeah. <laughs> it was like they really tried to give opportunity, and we had a chamber music program on top of that, and a lot of the chamber groups they were either serious or non-serious. So a lot of our groups went on to like junior fish off that, right. or you could just play chamber music and not do that, and they were totally cool with it. So what they did for this was they had all the violinists who wanted to audition for the solos of Shahrazad 
club, and they actually like assign different solos to different people who played it the best. Like they made it a real audition experience. And so the concert master, I think, did get to play like one or two. I was sitting assistant principal second, and I played a couple of them. There is another person who I think was sitting like fifth chair or something who played one. And it's great because I never got that opportunity again to play Scheherazade in a concert master position, and I'm not sure I ever will again. But it was a really great experience, and I realized through that piece of music that I loved music enough to want to go into it. And then I went to chamber music camp. <laughs> and Chamber music camp? Which one? Chamber music camp. It was the uh, Midwestern Artist Chamber Music Camp. It, it's now uh, a, di- a different thing, but it used to be a sleepover camp for like high school age. And I met a a lot of really awesome people. I actually met Andrew Francois at that He was a violinist at the time. I love Andrew. I know. He's now a violist in the St. Louis Symphony. Yeah. And it's just like so crazy because then that summer I met Annie Chalix-Boyle who taught violin. I, I really liked studying with her and I was really enjoying my experience with music and having kind of that experience of finding myself through music and with the chamber music camp. And I, at that time, was still taking from my mother. Uh-huh. <laughs> which I love her and she taught me everything I know but trying to take music lessons from your parent is one of the worst ideas you can ever do and my mom will tell you the same thing whenever someone asks her like how you do you teach your kids says don't take them to someone else so I came home from that camp and I basically went up to my mom was like I think I want to go into music and I want to study with Annie and she's like as long as you're super serious about it we can definitely make that happen and so MYA was kind of the turning point for me from looking at music as something like I kind of had to do and just something I was good at to like being challenged by it and to um, really starting to understand why it's so awesome and it really at some points depends on who your peers are because I went from kind of being top dog in a symphony close to me to traveling an hour and a half every Saturday to being like the underdog and like seeing all these kids that were my age that were so much better and like knew so much more about music and were super excited about it and loved it and I was like oh this is cool actually Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then I Annie really helped me get into college and I went from there you sure did and then we met and then we met yay That's my origin story, long-winded. I'm glad to hear, though, that that your mom was supportive, because oftentimes it's, I don't, well, I shouldn't relate it to, like, coming out of the closet for a gay person, because it's not really like that. Obviously, it's not like that at all. But sometimes, at least I had this experience personally, that there was, it was a struggle. It was sort of, are you going to be accepted deciding this big decision about your career and your life? And with one that seemingly doesn't have much return or stability, which of course now we're like, ah! Yeah, well, my mom did, because she is a musician, so she does know the struggle, and when I first told her, like, yes, I want to go into music, she, the only talk back she gave to me was, are you sure, because it's not easy, and once I was like, yes, I'm fine with that, like, I want to do this, she was very supportive. Yeah, I'm very lucky that I had supportive parents, and, you know, you talk to my dad, and he's like, you're the best violinist, why aren't you concert master for Chicago Symphony? Oh, Dad! Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's so sweet. That's such a dad thing to say. <laughs> 
there. But they're they're both very proud, and I know they'll be okay if I don't. This is all I accomplish ever in music. They're both very supportive, so I'm very lucky. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think your career's over. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. I just, you know, there's other directions I might want to take, and right. the career that I saw for myself in high school is not the same that I'm thinking now. So it's very much like before. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna practice and get a job in an orchestra and be set, and I'm realizing that's not lining up with what I really want to do and what, what your true values are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, growing older and being honest with yourself. I wanted to give you a second to kind of talk about what pre-COVID, let's say, what you what you were doing in your work. So yeah. you were principal second of Quad City Symphony. So can you describe a little bit about what you were doing? Yeah, so Quad Cities has six Masterworks concerts a year, and they have about three to four Pops concerts. So it's basically the first week of like every month I would go there and do rehearsals and concerts and I really just wanted to start working as a musician. I had been in a program or in school for the past 10 years and it was just time for me to kind of break out and see where things were going to go for me and so for a month there I didn't have anything going on (laughs) in January besides I sent my resume everywhere to any performing within my area I could find. And come March, I was kind of starting to start getting hired for different things. And, you know, either practicing and like sending out resumes and being in contact with people and meeting up with other freelancers to try to establish connections. And, you know, that all kind of came to a halt. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do that anymore. And so very That's exciting. such a bummer, though. It I mean... I was starting to prepare for a couple different auditions to hang in there. (laughs) I'm kind of slightly grateful for the reflection period because it has made me realize if I was just getting all these gigs, would I even be having these thoughts right now? Like, would I want to realize a bigger dream maybe? And I don't think I would. And so there's this, it's a weird time period, but it's really making people take stock of like what, they really want in life and I think that's weirdly a beautiful thing even though it's in the worst circumstances well that's the silver lining of this whole thing right yeah we'll take a break and we'll be right back Welcome back from the break. So before the break, Autumn and I were talking a little bit about how she began getting really invested in meditation. And I guess you were saying this is kind of a recent interest. It's been like I've started taking better care of myself, even health-wise, actually exercising and doing yoga and meditating for the first time in my life, which I always used to think it was, I didn't get it before. I would just like sit there and be like, I'm Like my mind's just buzzing, buzzing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it's really like, it is really a practice and it's really like training your mind to not even calm down, but just be okay with what you're feeling and thinking at the moment and working through it in a more healthy way than just thinking about it and then getting anxious about it and then stressing about it and not ever letting it go or not ever working through it. It's really hard to explain until you do it because I I had people tell me about it and I would still just be like, I'm calm enough already. Like I I can just sit there. So that actually kind of brings me to why I'm meditating now is there's so much going on and you know, it was taking a toll on me mentally and physically and it should, but you also need to take care of yourself to be a person that can actually help you know you can't do anything if you don't have yourself put together 
Right. So I really was focusing on, you know, limiting social media and honing in on learning very important things I needed to every day, but then not focusing on that all day. Because some days I would go down a news rabbit hole and then just be sitting there reading news all day and be mad and crying. And, you know, it's not, yeah. that's not how you That is help. draining. It's draining and, yeah. you know, not how you can help. And so I, I started, well, one, working out and yoga. Yoga's always been really great for me as a musician. And if I've ever been having pain, it's, it's something that immediately kind of gets rid of that. And so I, I started working out again and doing that. And long as every day, I put some time aside to meditate and go outside is like huge because I was like inside for three weeks. Yep. Then I feel like I can deal with reading the news. Mm-hmm. And meditation, that, that kind of was what spawned it is I was, I got to a place where I couldn't take on anymore and I was recognizing that. So I said, what can I do so I can be okay as a person and also do X, Y, and Z to help and also stay informed <laughs> uh-huh. you know you need to stay informed but you also can't read every article every day and be okay yeah so, it gets poisonous after yeah it re- yeah so yeah that that's kind of been my remedy I guess was the meditation and like I said I didn't think it would do anything I didn't think it would work I was just trying to find ways like I always felt like I always was meditating during yoga so it was the same thing but it's really not like yoga really focuses on just kind of letting your brain go and only focusing on the um, motions that you're. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what's different about meditation, but it's, it's more like you don't have anything to do. So you really have to sit with your thoughts. Like there's nothing to distract you. But nothing I thought the idea with meditation is that you are trying to wipe your your thoughts clean. That is in that if a thought comes in, you can indulge the thought, but then try to push yeah. it back away. Yeah, but it's also not wiping your slate clean. You can't not ever think about anything. I found that it's more for me, like at the beginning of that exercise, you acknowledge the emotions you're feeling. You're acknowledging where it feels in your body that doesn't feel right, or maybe it feels amazing. Like you're acknowledging how you feel in that day and in that moment. And then you're transferring it to now let's calm everything and then acknowledge those thoughts and then there's a period where you just let your brain go and think about anything and so it's kind of more like it's described I mean headspace is really great because it kind of takes you this through step by step and that's the app you use yeah that's the app and right now I think they're offering for anybody who's unemployed a free year a free year yeah how do you prove if you're unemployed I'm not sure I, okay, because I'm like, maybe I need to sign up for this. But. Yeah, I mean, it's very, it, you have a two free week trial too. So okay. if you're unsure, do the two free weeks and like do it every day because I found like it's very, like I said, my first session, I was like, okay, I did it, but I didn't really get it. And mm-hmm. it took until like the sixth or seventh session until I was like finally starting to kind of be like, oh, this is what it's trying to do. It's kind of trying to marry your physical sensation with your mental sensation and like then coming to terms with how you can feel. Whenever I've tried meditating, I also kind of am like, is this working? Is this, it seems I'm just sitting here and wasting time when I could yeah. be doing something yeah. more productive. So I haven't yet been able to unlock, or I guess I haven't had the patience yet to do the, to do the number, because it, it is a, you have to follow through with. You have to follow through. And what I'm taking away the most is that it 
it's an exercise in, like I said, being in the moment. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. And especially because I am such a planner. I love planning things. I love planning trips, especially. Like, I'm really not around the summer is hurting me. Me and uh, my fiance are supposed to go look at wedding venues in Michigan. And Mm -hmm. so, like, a lot of stuff has been canceled for everyone. But traveling, it's the first time in my life I have had nothing coming up, like nothing on the calendar. And I realized even when I had, like, a month off, I always was, like, flying somewhere at the end of this month or going and doing this, this, you know, in two months or there's always been something kind of not to look forward to. Yeah. But I realized recently it's kind of put me in this mindset of like always looking forward and never kind of being here now. This is going to sound super heady. <laughs> no, go right <laughs> ahead. But, and, and there's a pun there. funny because like talked to me two weeks ago and I wouldn't have said any of this. Like this is very such a recent thing in my life, which is also kind of this is what I'm living with right now. And so this is my life right now. I read the book The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Coelho? C-O-E-H-L-O. Okay. <laughs> it's also a very short book, 170 pages or something, but it's about a little shepherd who goes and like finds his personal journey and learns how to like live in the moment, basically. And mm-hmm. somehow I read that book at the perfect time when I was kind of making this discovery in my meditation. And now the, the two kind of have aligned and now I've kind of realized what I might want to do in the future, but it's also letting me like live kind of day by day. And that's kind of hugely important right now in the day-to-day of living in this situation is you have to be kind of okay living right now because you we really don't know what tomorrow is going to be like I think that has been the biggest struggle at least when I've talked to my friends yeah. is figuring out that there is a separation between long-term goals and the present because I think for especially musicians and the way that we're kind of trained with practice like we have to practice all the times because right now we are working towards this future that's going to get us the job, that's going to get us security, and we're going to beat everyone else if we just yeah. put e- these more, you know, 10 more minutes here or whatever. Like yeah. this idea that the present is our long term, mm-hmm. I think that what I'm listening to you talk about it, it's really tr- where we haven't been trained to separate the two, that the present, yes, does help influence the long term, but it doesn't control the long term goal. Yeah, and that's it's been a huge thing to kind of try to even like the feeling of I've been living in that feeling of, you know, when you you apply to grad school or something and you still don't know what's going to happen, that suspended kind of animation feeling of like, there's this many different ways where my life can go. And right now there's none of that. And so it's weirdly, I'm not going to say traumatizing because that's too big of a word. (laughs) It's, it's, It's just uncomfortable, let's say, to somehow always been living in suspended animation, always kind of, like you said, having that push forward and then all of a sudden being stopped and saying, we have that suspended animation, but we also like have nothing to work on to reach a decision. Mm-hmm. So it's been a lot. I mean, it was, it, it took me a while to kind of figure this out for myself and also to just be like, you know, now I, I feel so much better every day. I'm able to take in what I need to take in every day and not let it totally consume you. Consume me. And like I said, if you're totally consumed, you can't be a person that can help in any way. Like you, you can't. Right, you're, 
you're in fight or flight mode. Yeah, and I was, I was, there was many days where I was just like incapacitated and I would just sit on the couch doing nothing. Just <laughs> Yeah, I had those days too. It doesn't help anyone. Like it doesn't help you. It doesn't help the people you live with. It doesn't help your cat. Like, it, you know what I mean? It, it doesn't. And yeah, so I'm trying to find a perpetual battle to find balance between the two. And I mean, everybody wants balance in their lives and it's never going to happen completely and assuredly. But well, it does happen, but it, it frequently gets yeah. unbalanced. Yeah. I, I think of it like the spinning, the spinning plates. Yes. Yeah. That, you know, that we're, we're constantly managing, making sure that all these spinning plates are spinning. And sometimes they are all spinning at the same time and you can just like not look at them. But then assuredly one will start falling. And yeah, so that's a metaphor for life, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So it was like one day you're just like, I'm just going to sit here for how long do you meditate? It starts out anywhere from three to 10 minutes. It's, it's not very long. And that's what's funny about it. And right now I'm up to 15 minutes a day. So you, you, it's a training process. It's not, um, mm-hmm. it's not like you sit down and meditate an hour all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. I could maybe get there one day, but all I really need is 15 minutes and I think it eventually goes up to yeah like hour meditations if you want there's like group meditations on there but it's about what you need and what you and I find like 15 to 20 minutes is probably my sweet spot of like Mm -hmm. sitting there and I find myself frequently sitting there thinking about what I'm gonna do after I'm done meditating the whole purpose right it's my personality of being a planner and always kind of wanting to be on the go and having to live with being still and being calm is doing very simple things now mm-hmm. like practicing or cleaning the house like that's like all I have to do really but well you've been baking some amazing bread Right. I've been speaking. My hobby has been signing petitions. I've oh, that, yeah. A million petitions a day, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, writing letters. But even that, like, you're doing it, and then, okay, you're like, okay, I need to stop and do my paint by number and just sit there and, like, fill in little paint spots because it, like, you know, with Netflix on in the background. <laughs> okay, but I wanted to ask you a couple more questions. So with meditation, do you have a particular time of day that you prefer? And you do this once a day? I do once a day. And some days I don't do it. If I'm, you know, the other day I had like my five year anniversary and I was like content in that day to just be doing what I was doing and um, being in that moment. Being (laughs) in that moment. And like, and and they actually talk about it in Headspace. They're like, if you miss a day, it's fine as long as you pick it back up. And that's kind of like a motto that you can spread to everything. Like, I. Even with working out, it's like I used to think all or nothing. Like either I run an hour and do a yoga video and do this and this and this, or I like I can't do it because I can't do all of this. And it's like, no, you can work out for 10 minutes and that's still working out. You know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of that mentality of I've missed days totally, (laughs) but it's the general overall like this is more my standard now than not doing it. They say to like put a time period or do it but my days are so different because you know some days I go to bed at 3 a.m and wake up at 12 and you know COVID sure. life. Yep. so I try to get out sometime in the sunshine and I sit outside in my little not alleyway but I have a little sidewalk next to my house that's hidden by a fence so I don't feel like anybody's watching me mm-hmm. I, I sit there in the chair and I do it for 20 minutes like if, if someone came around the back of the house they'd probably be like is she okay <laughs> but or I was just thinking like what if someone came around and was like boo 
or something. Yeah. And you know, on rainy days, I do it inside, and mm -hmm. you know, it's more just about doing it every day. If it helps to like set a time period that's helpful for you, then that's great. That's not how I really work. Like, right. like I said, like to in this you know COVID reality, like to kind of pace my day how it feels most natural instead of like you know before where I had to be at this thing at this time. Let's. You know, I have to work out before that. Otherwise, it doesn't, you know, I have to go there and blah, blah, blah. So mm -hmm. it's a way of living stress-free in a very stressful time. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like it's really helping you a lot. It has. And I think I talked to you like a couple weeks ago and I was like a little... When I was on the kayak? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, everything's fine. It's great. It's <laughs> great. And I will say like music... It's so funny because, like, I watch all these videos and they're comforts to me, but, like, actually practicing myself right now, because it's something that I've dedicated my life to, is actually very stressful at the moment. Right. I think we've all had that simil similar feeling. I think it's because we're working and working, but we don't really have necessarily a goal to achieve uh, other than just maintaining ourselves. But yeah. I think without that kind of carrot, it's yeah. it's really, yeah, it, it ends up being sort of like, well, why am I... What, what, I could be maybe there's something else about me that's interesting yeah. that I can yeah. or that I can start picking up and and that's that's kind of what what's been happening to me is like it's been helping me realize certain things and yeah and when I do play violin now I've been very much enjoying it because I kind of gave myself a break and I'm not making myself do it every day I'm like mm -hmm to the violin when I really want to come to the violin and then I, I'm relaxed when I'm doing it and I actually feel like I do better practice that way. It's like a, because I'm, I'm curious about the instrument instead of forcing myself to do stuff. I was so. going to say, you probably feel more connected yeah, to yeah. your instrument. Yeah. Yeah. So meditation came out of your yoga routines? Kind of. It was also it was something I tried before. And it was just something that I knew was like a healthy lifestyle type activity. Mm -hmm. So it was more just like, I wanted to try to start living healthier. So might as well try meditation again. It didn't really come out of yoga, really. Okay. Yoga, yoga for me is more like it, it makes my body feel good. I have one finishing question. After all the impact that COVID has done to classical music, what do you think is something positive that will enhance and carry on in our profession? That's, it's, that's interesting. Um, I think the most positive thing is that, like I said before, like everybody's having to think and reevaluate right now. And it's not something that the classical music industry has ever had to do before with a forced hand. <laughs> like in order to survive right now, like we have to evolve, we have to change, we have to, you know, we can't just sit in our concert hall with our bow ties on and be aloof to the world anymore. And I don't think that's been true for a while, but it's how a lot of orchestras have still been acting. And there's been some great changes made by great orchestras in the last few years that have really opened up their halls to a variety of audiences and that work still really has to be done and now they're realizing oh we need to be online we need to be on the internet we can't just you know 
Yeah. Not not blow with the times. And yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting creative uh, improvements in the next few years that are going to come because of necessity from this. And I yeah. think also lend its hand to a generation of people that kind of think outside the box more in terms of music and musical concerts. And I think it's slightly exciting. Yeah, I mean, for the moment, but I think it's gonna, in a few years, we'll look back and be like, maybe this is the greatest thing that ever happened to the... Well, that's, I, I mean, obviously, I really hope that's the case as well. We'll see. <laughs> we'll um, see. But it, you know, it made when when you're in your response, it made me think that yeah, there is basically we had the reason why classical music has been marketed, targeted, etc., was based on a system that we couldn't fi- we couldn't stop to fix, yeah. right? Yeah. Which is what's happening now. It's like you know, it's happening everywhere and every in everything. And this is exactly what you're saying. It's like this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to, to address some of the kinks in the structure or re-examine, question, and I. Unfortunately, I think with the arts, we are so dependent on individual donors. We're dependent on grants. And I hope that those organizations and people will start to appreciate, like individuals will also start to appreciate what we do, what our purpose is in culture and in society, that the projects that we want to see come out of this will be supported. I think a lot of times we weren't able to do the things that were really good ideas because I think think management or other there there's always this risk that we weren't that it wouldn't pay off and if it doesn't pay off for us we're screwed you know so I that's I that's where I, I get kind of excited or hopeful similarly to you yeah mm-hmm. and I think like the organizations that really take advantage of it will swim and the others unfortunately will sink. if you'd like to support this podcast please share it with your friends and family it's free to do so or yeah. visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Music Stand. You can also access more content and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Haydn Music Stand. Also, you can leave a review on Apple Music, preferably a positive one, or give feedback at Stand at gmail.com. Thanks, Adam, for being here. Thank you, Patty. Yay. Okay. Hey. Sushi, say bye.